Thank you for tuning your hearts in for another episode of the Hearts Rise Up podcast. I'm Carol Chapman, your host, along with my co-hosts, Ann Sari and Conchetta Antonelli. We share our own personal experiences, tips, and strategies, along with powerful stories and compelling insights from guest interviews. We're here to inspire and empower your conscious evolution, help you tap into your inner wisdom and rise to your heart-centered higher self. Together, we can rise to a higher level of consciousness, an elevated state of being, and experience more love, joy, and freedom. Hello and welcome back, heart-centered listeners. Thank you for joining us once again on the Hearts Rise Up podcast, where you will always find heartfelt wisdom to inspire your conscious evolution. I'm Carol Chapman, your host. I'm joined today by a very special guest, Kay Newton. Kay loves to inspire people around the world to live midlife on their terms, full of fun and vigor. As a midlife strategist, award-winning international speaker, and voracious author, Kay is passionate about simplicity. She loves to create and hold space where an individual or group can master their own purpose in life. No magic, heebie-jeebie, weird stuff, pills, or potions. Just plain, practical, down-to-earth, Yorkshire common sense for simple changes. In Kay's words, we all have daily stresses to deal with. Having a safe haven and permission to explore new possibilities to alter your future life course does not have to be complicated, time-consuming, or painful. If she is not beachcombing or walking the mountains in Mallorca, Kay loves to constantly expand her own horizons, which in turn she can share with others. She has practiced Tai Chi for over 10 years, loves her family ferociously, and adores creating yummy nutritional food for whoever happens to be at the table. Kay, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Carol. At last, we seem to have been wanting to do this for so long. I'm so pleased to be here. Yes, I'm really excited to have you here. So many of us reach midlife and we start questioning where we're at. It can be difficult and confusing to find the way forward and we don't always have anyone to turn to. It's really interesting that you are a midlife strategist helping others navigate life changes. I'd love for you to share more about that. I have to admit, I wish I had someone like you available to me when I started going through my midlife changes. But first, I know that you have your own story, and I would love for you to share a bit about your life journey. I love that. I think it's a fabulous question. And of course, when we get to, in my case particularly, in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going into my seventh decade here on the planet. So all of a sudden, you know, you start and do this work for yourself again. You know, you go through the process of just looking at, you know, where you've come from and where it's led you to. And I've been doing that for myself. There's many crossroads. There's many areas where you can see that led you to. I'd love to share some. I don't want to go into great detail with all of them. Otherwise, the program will never finish. When you get to 60, there's loads of them. Absolutely. Just share whatever you'd like to share. Yeah. 
I'll share very quickly, you know, a couple of stages that I can see real big changes for me. One, when I was probably eight or nine years old, the postman threw a little pamphlet through the post box about a course that was going to happen in my village, a shorthand and typing course. And I thought this would be a fabulous idea. I went off to do this shorthand and typing course, persuaded my father to literally have to carry the portable typewriter in those days, which weighed, I don't know, 10 kilos or whatever it was. It was huge. And a very big cushion to go and do typing. I was the youngest person there. And because of that, I then ended up going to a better school and then on to university. Without that, I wouldn't have gone. I came from a working class background. I was the first in my extended family to go on to further education. And that course was definitely one of those big pivotal points in life. Another one when I was 17, again, there was an offer at school for a three-week course in the Lake District in uh, the UK to go and do what they called an outward bound course, which was going out into the countryside and learning about your physical and mental abilities. It was free, so I signed up for that. You see a pattern coming here. (laughs) And then after my university degree, I ended up going into retail. I hated my job and was bullied by the, the manager. My parents at that time had a very small sailing boat in the local marina. And I used to use it as my place, my safe haven to go and eat my sandwiches and cry at lunchtime. And into the marina came a very, very big boat for that marina. Not very big, really, only 20 meters. I found out where it was going. It was going to Mallorca. And I ended up handing my notice in, taking all my stuff in my flat back to my parents, dumping it on their doorstep and jumping on board this boat with three complete strangers sailing for three weeks it took three weeks to get to Mallorca and then I tell everybody I never swam back and that led to yet another big crossroads in my life and then another one is 2015 my husband got offered a job out of the blue to go and build a hotel in Zanzibar Tanzania he's originally from South Africa and he thought it'd be really good to end his career back in Africa And he took the job, which meant I had to downsize our family home of 20 years and uh, put it on the market and then move to a two-roomed, tin-roofed house by the beach in Zanzibar, where I learned about the wonders of simplicity. And so those are some of the major crossroads in my life where I can see huge pivotal points. The interesting thing is there was very little time for decision in all of them. It was a gut feeling and it was, we're going to do this. Was there any fear? If there was, it came after the decision to do it. And I think that's also very important to realize that the fear is, it's a fantasy, isn't it? It's something that we make up about something we don't know that's going to happen. Yes, that's right. We have these tendencies to just create stories in our minds around things that are just unfounded. Yeah. Things end up turning out totally different, though. Completely and utterly different. If I'd have thought the journey I would have on the boat to Mallorca was going to be like it was, I would have heeded my father's advice and not got on the boat. But, you know, I didn't. I went out for an adventure. And would I call myself adventurous? This is also another interesting conversation. In other people's eyes, I'm extremely adventurous. In my eyes, it's part of who I am. It's my makeup. It's normality for me. I don't think I'm adventurous at all. So it's interesting. 
hmm, maybe you're more of an explorer. Yeah, I once described myself as a person who's quite happy to jump into the deep end of the swimming pool and then realize I can't swim instead of being the one who stands at the edge of the pool and goes, you know, maybe you should learn to swim first or maybe you could get help. Or I just jumped straight in and then I go, oh, my God, I've got to learn to swim. And that's part of who I am, you know. What is the one thing that you have learned in your life and how has it shaped your approach or philosophy in life? I remember standing in the National History Museum in London and reading The Only Constant in the Universe is Change. And I think that's a really important thing to remember. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what's around the corner, but change is definitely going to be one of those things. And so why not just get on and do something? Because change will be there. So yeah, that's been important for me, I think. Well, it sounds like you're very internally driven. I'd love to just delve into a little bit more because in a sense, that's almost like when you're making decisions to make changes like that in your life. It's more than just adventure, but I think part of it too is you must be listening to your heart to do something different. Tell me a little bit more about that. There's a couple of pieces there. I think one is, and I have not always been very good at this, but having the confidence with yourself to know thyself and to say this is something that I can do or I want to do it's it's the choice but listening to yourself I think that comes from the heart I think that's very important and the other thing I think is it's not just your heart and I think you know we realize this as we we get a little bit older it's your head and your heart and your gut instinct and it's the whole thing put together And I think if they're all in alignment, then you get a completely different concept. You don't need to listen to the externals. You listen to the whole internals as a whole thing. And that helps you then make decisions and choices. Because so many people look to external things to validate the decisions and the choices that they make in their lives. And yes, if you're constantly doing that, you're not listening to your heart. Or what is internally guiding you? Yeah, you're listening to someone else, which means you're living someone else's life. If you think about it like that, you know, logically, if you're constantly listening to other people's advice, not to say that you shouldn't listen to other people's advice, particularly if, you know, as we say, they've got the T-shirt, they've been there and done that already. You can learn a whole lot from them without having to go through the same trials and tribulations as they did. But I think it's also really important after you've done all that, done your due diligence to say, yeah, but that's not for me, or I want to do it this way. And having the confidence to say, this is what I'm going to do. I think that's part of it. If someone wants to not necessarily listen to what others are saying, but really follow their own heart, they have to take some time to really get quiet and listen to their heart And I don't know whether that was the case for you in terms of listening to your heart, or is it just something that comes natural to you? Yeah. You just know what you need to do? Do you know, Carol, that's one of those questions I can't really answer because it's, as you said, it's, I said, I think it's natural. But if you look at, you know, what I said earlier about the crossroads, for me, there was no real time to sit and think about it. It was like, I had this opportunity. It was there in front of me. It came through the letterbox. It was offered at school. 
one minute the boat's in the marina and the next minute we have a phone call for Zanzibar. There was very little time to, to go, okay, let me sit and think about this. I could have made the time, but it wasn't that. There was a calling, there was a feeling inside, this is a yes. I love that. If we take the time to think about it, that's where the head starts to jump in. We talk ourselves out of it. Oh, we do. I've done that before. It's like, oh my gosh, why am I doing this to myself? Yeah. We've talked a little bit about going to Zanzibar and really, you know, you were ending up simplifying your life. What really stirred that and how did you do it? How did you handle it? So again, it was, it happened very, very quickly. Literally, my husband was offered the job and within three weeks, he was gone. He'd packed his suitcase and gone. Prior to that, I, have, I must tell you that my parents had lived in the same home all their life, so 55 years or more or whatever it was. I can't remember the actual number. My mother had died before my dad and my father had recently died. And I'd been back in the UK clearing out his house, which was a small terraced home. It wasn't a big home. I grew up in a working class family, but it had lots of memories. And when I came away from that, I went... It's not the physicality, it's a chore, but it's clearing away the memories, which was the heartbreaking part of it. And I thought, we don't have to create the scenario that my children have to do that. We can sell our family home and move on. And we'd already been tentatively talking about it, that, you know, the thing that we had 11,000 square meters of land and, you know, we used it for retreats and for guests to come. And we had four acres of farmland. and. It was a big place. So we'd already tentatively started saying, we are getting older. This is going to be harder and harder as the years go on. Do we really want to be doing this? Or is this the perfect time to move on? And then, as you always do, synchronicities appear, which is when James, my husband, got offered the job in Zanzibar. And he literally left with his 20 kilo suitcase. And I had the same allowance to get on the flight. Uh, to go and visit him. And there was a realization I just cleared my parents' home and I could do the same with ours. I literally spent the next three weeks clearing out the home. And then uh, luckily I had a girlfriend come over from the UK and help me stage the home. And we put it on the market for sale. Uh, and literally within three weeks, I cleared 20 years of our own stuff, I suppose you call it, our memories. We went down to Zanzibar with our 20 kilos worth of values of our you know our clothes and shoes and equipment that we needed and part of the the story of that is I still kept my residency in Spain which meant I had to come back I could only stay as a visitor in Zanzibar and I came back one day to find the house was rented for a holiday and I had nowhere to stay and I thought okay what can I do I've always wanted to walk the Camino de Santiago which is to walk the top of Spain from the French border down to um, Santiago de Compostela. And so I put a seven and a half kilo backpack, my worldly goods on my back, and walked 729 kilometers over 34 days and made the realization that seven and a half kilos was enough. 20 kilos was lots. Hence the simplicity, you know, the fact that we simplified very, very quickly. How did that trek change you over the 34 days? 34 days, yeah, I walked 34 days. 
it was very interesting for me. I had, again, no issues with walking on my own. I felt very confident to do that. You meet some amazing people along the way, which I did. I went confidently with a backpack with the intention of walking until I felt it was time to stop, um, not booking or planning my stays along the way, just open to, as they call it, the Camino. The Camino will provide. There was always somewhere to stop and eat, always someone new to meet and always a place to sleep. All you needed to do was get up the next morning, put your boots on, find a yellow arrow and follow it onto the next stage. So that's what we did. That's amazing. And I just love the fact that you just did it. You just knew what you needed to do. You didn't think about it. You just did it. And I bet it was the experience of a lifetime. Yeah. You meet people who have got such profound reasons for walking the Camino. And on a night, that was the question you would ask. It's, you know, it wasn't the question of who are you, where are you from, or what's your business? It was, why are you walking the Camino? And, you know, people had some amazing stories and some really deep stories to tell, you know, losing partners and uh, recovering from cancer and celebrating all sorts of things. And we'd go around the table and we'd get to me and I'd go tax purposes. And of course, that just floored everybody. And I said, but I'm a resident in Spain. I've nowhere to live. So hence, I'm walking the Camino. Um, it just brought, you know, hyster hysteria to the table, which is what, part of the fun. You know, we all need to laugh a little bit more. So, Yes, we do. And I would love to know a little bit more about how you have integrated simplicity into your life. And also, I'd love for you to define simplicity. Because I think we all perhaps have a different perspective on what simplicity means for us. What does it mean for you? I think that's really important. For me, it means being more of a human being rather than a human doing. I still like to do things, but I also really love to be part of nature. I spend a lot of time walking. I'm very, very fortunate in our new home that we have the beach in front and the mountains behind. So I can spend an awful lot of time in nature. And then the other major part was not living a minimalistic life. We don't. If you come to my home, you'll find most of my cupboards have got equipment in them and things in them. We live a comfortable life. We're very, very fortunate. What we've done, and I think it's really important for me, is we've got rid of the chemicals in our home. So we don't use chemical cleaning equipment. My husband is known from time to time to pull out a bottle from I don't know where. But in theory, we don't have any chemicals in the home. We don't use them for our personal products. And we eat simply so we cook from scratch with natural, healthy foods or whatever we can find that's in season. We're lucky that we have a market every weekend in the square. So life's in that way is simple. At what point did things start to shift for you when you were really focusing on nature and the environment and kind of being in tune with that? Because I know that this is one of your passions, minimizing your footprint, eliminating toxic chemicals, and you're doing an awful lot even in your own community there. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your passion and what you're doing. It's been a gradual process and, and, and it's still a, a huge work in progress. But definitely, I think menopause is a big one for me, reaching perimenopause and thinking about the body burden and what we're doing to ourselves, which doesn't help when you're going through hormonal changes. 
how could I help myself? How could I eliminate as much as I possibly could in my environment that could be possibly causing me to have more uh, side effects of going through the menopause? So I think it started then. And then in my, well, last year, I was very, very fortunate to join E-Expedition. I had to join them virtually, unfortunately, because of COVID. We couldn't actually sail around the world. This is an amazing project for women by women looking at plastic and the causes upon the environment and the body. And I joined them for the South African voyage. We did everything we were supposed to do apart from actually do our things on the boat. So we had watchers, which meant some of us had to get up early or late in the middle of the night, meet our fellow crew members around the world to discuss plastic. And part of that included going onto my local beach and doing a beach project there, where I was fortunate enough to meet another local lady who collects plastic. And that's led us to a really good friendship. And that's what we do. We collect and survey the plastic on the beach here locally uh, and it will be sent to one of the universities on the mainland uh, mainland Spain then the issue was what do I do with all the plastic that we're collecting a lot of it can't be recycled it's not recyclable and very interesting what we find on the beach and when we find it but we've now started a project of making it into pictures works of art that we can give to hopefully to some of the local restaurants and bars and to help them think a little bit more about what we're doing to our environment. Wow, that's terrific. I'd love to understand a little bit more. In your experience, what would be the steps that someone would go through to simplify their life and determine what simplicity means for them? I know you have an exercise that is a free download on your website that helps people go through some steps and some things to think about. Would you be willing to cover a little bit of that now? Certainly will, yeah, no problem whatsoever. I think the first thing you have to do is make you know a really good-hearted decision about what you want to simplify, and what, as you said, what simplicity means for you, because it's going to mean completely different things for everybody. And I think that's when a life audit comes in to hand, and that life audit can be anything from the table of life, which I'm going to talk about now, to literally, for example, which we've been doing this year, auditing your plastic refuse bag every month and seeing what you actually put in there and making a decision about what you can do to eliminate that. I think that's, you know, the two sides of both the, the, both the same coin in many respects. But the table of life is a very, very simple exercise. If you can imagine a very old-fashioned table, I'd love to imagine an old French table in a, a beautiful jeet somewhere made of beautiful wood, and it's got lots of pot marks in because it's very, very old. But it's got four legs on it, and you want that table to be as sturdy as you possibly can be because that table symbolizes your life. And no matter what's thrown at you at it, the table, you want it to be as sturdy as possible. And so the five parts of the table are the tabletop, which is knowing thyself. And when you take time to really get down into the nitty gritty of who you are, it helps build your confidence. And when you know who you are, then whenever something happens, you can make a decision. Your choice is based on you, which is really important. And then you've got the four legs. And when you've got them all sturdy and secure, then your tabletop will be secure as well. And the four parts are connections. Connections is a really, really interesting one. 
And I say to people, you need to sort of curate around 30 people in your circle of influence. And you can see them counting on their fingers. Well, well I can get to maybe five, maybe, maybe 10. But when you say 30, particularly at midlife, I think it's important. Why is it important? Because we've got so much going on in our own life that, you know, you can reach out for help. Say, for example, your house burns down tomorrow. Who are you going to reach out to who can possibly offer you some shelter? And when you start and go through your list of people, they're going to have a, a lot of them are going to have their own stuff going on. So you need to curate quite a big list so that not only can you get support, but also that you can support them. I think that's also important to remember. So number one is your connections. Well, not necessarily number one, but that's the first one I talked about. Then the second one is knowledge. And when you do a knowledge audit, especially when you get to our age, it helps you think about what you know, what you don't know, and probably more importantly, what you don't want to know. So quite often when you look at the don't know list, I don't know how to run my website doesn't mean to say you have to learn how to run your website. It means you have to realistically go, okay, I don't know how to run my website. There is no way I've got any interest in learning how to run my website. So therefore, the next part is who do I want to get to help me and support me in that? Yes, and that's where connections certainly come into play. That's where connections comes in handy, exactly. And, you know, when we look at our knowledge and what we know, a lot of those skills have not got a certificate for them, and we forget that. And yet those can be the skills you need for the next stage in your life. Um, so when you've audited them and you've looked at them and you've got them on a piece of paper, you can say, you know, I've spent, since I started typing at eight years old, I've been writing. Oh, yeah, I can write. I don't I utilize that skill and do some more writing. So it's interesting. So knowledge is important. The next one I think is just as important, but something that we talk about a lot is wealth. And when I talk about wealth, I'm not talking about what's in your bank account, although that helps. Um, a lot of people need to do that audit first as well. A lot of people don't know where they stand, what they've got in their bank account, what their pension's going to look like, what their future's going to look like. So that's a good exercise. But also to think about, you know, what are you giving? to your community so that you get back. That's part of wealth as well. And we forget to do that. That's so true. We don't realize that it's not about the receiving, but it is about what we have to offer. It's receiving and giving. Both are just, you've got to balance. Both need to be there. And your final leg is probably the most important of all, and that's your health. And doing a health audit, where am I? Have I set a couple of kilos to lose or have I got more than that what's my exercise routine like am I sleeping well what's my eating pattern like all the general questions that it's so easy habit wise to forget about or deviate and then think hang on a minute my health's not very good without my health I can't do anything else Yes, I think in some respects as you mentioned it's probably the most important and most difficult I think to make changes in our lives because we become con so conditioned to certain habits, doing things a certain way, eating certain foods. It takes time to educate ourselves and knowing what's in our food and what we're eating. 
Exactly. What, you know, the whole thing, I think that comes down to the simplicity aspect again, is that when you've got that order in front of you, you've made that realization, it's what's the small steps I can take to change. This is not something you want to be doing immediately overnight, because those quite often don't make the changes within two, two days or 10 days, we're back to where we were before. It's about what's the small steps I can do to change. So you just mentioned a perfect one and, and it goes down to what I did with my cleaning products and my own personal products was sometimes we look at the ingredients on the back of a, a food packet. Do we do it when it comes to cleaning products or our own personal hygiene products? And yet when you do, you make a realization these are just as toxic as some of the E numbers we've come to recognize are not good for us or the sugars that we may see on a product. When we do that you, and get into the habit of saying, I'm going to go shopping, but I'm going to look at the back of the packet. And if there's something there that I can't pronounce, Kay says, don't buy it. It's not perfect. And there are things that you can't, can't pronounce that are, are important. But on a general rule of thumb, if you can't say it, don't pay for it. I wholeheartedly agree, especially when you look at certain products and they have a long list of ingredients, beware, because if they have that many ingredients, you know that they can't be good for you. And that's part of the simplicity theory of, you know, my, my lifestyle for me is if, if it's got one or two ingredients, it's fine. Exactly. If it's got, as you've just said, numerous ingredients, it's not on the simplicity list. So just ignore are there any particular things that you could just share with listeners to be sure for them to avoid? I haven't got the list in front of me. I'd literally have to have the list in front of me and then I wouldn't be able to say the words because I can't pronounce them. So I'm not much help in that respect. But what I can tell you for cleaning, I use white vinegar and bicarbonate of soda. Those are my two go-to products. Simple, easy. When it comes to personal hygiene, if I can eat it, then I can use it. You know, my skin creams tend to be things like honey and natural honey products. The shampoos I use are made locally with no toxic chemicals in them. I use bars. I don't use anything in a plastic bottle. And anything you can literally take down a notch. What do you store things in? We eat a lot of nuts in our home and seeds. They're good for you. And I found a local lady who comes to the local market on a Tuesday who's very happy to fill up my, you know, my used jars. So I have jam jars. So interestingly enough, I can just fill up my, my nuts and seeds with her. So no plastics involved in that. So anything like that that you can do that simplifies. This is another interesting one for me. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm just about to go through the process of having little stored, which is going to be new for me. I grew up in a family that were, you know, children just after the Second World War. And we always, always had a store cupboard. And I followed in my parents' footsteps as well and always had a store cupboard. We've always had things in store. And with COVID, I think we stored more. And no, we didn't go mad and buy hundreds and hundreds of loo rolls like some people did. But you know, we did start extra and I come to the decision this year that doesn't go with the simplicity model. And so at the moment, we're clearing out cupboards and utilizing stuff. Interestingly, we've got lots of lentils. We're going to be eating lentils for months, I think. 
Well, those are good things to store because they last a long time. They're good. I don't know if they're good every day for months, but yeah, it's got to be a bit like that. Yeah, but we're going to play with the concept and the idea of not storing as much and simply buying what we need when we need it. So that's going to be a new exercise, taking it to the a little bit further in the level of simplicity. So if there was one piece of advice that you would offer others, if they were looking to simplify their life on their terms, what would that be? Yeah, I think always start small. Work out what you want to change. I won't even say daily. I'd say, what do you want to change this week or this month? And focus on that. Don't do anything else. I love that. And I just love the advice about starting small. I've been doing that myself um, probably since about 2014. I sold my house in Colorado and it was a big house and I had a lot of stuff and only three weeks to clean everything out and close on the house. And it was the middle of winter and that was a huge job. And we really downsized quite a bit. We got rid of a lot of furniture, but even now we're in a smaller house. I still have a lot of stuff and I've been taking small steps, really just one section at a time or one thing at a time, even clothes recently. I, I don't really have a whole lot of clothes, but there were still some clothes I needed to get rid of. And I figured if I haven't worn them in the last year or so, well, it's probably time to get rid of them. The more you focus on, the more likely it's not going to happen because you're doing too much at once. Yeah, you can go through one drawer at a time, you know, one section of a room at a time and do the easy stuff. For me, I go through my bathroom drawers uh, periodically and just get rid of things because it's easier to get rid of things there than other kinds of more personal items. Basically, what you're doing is you're changing habits. And so habits take a little bit of time to change. Say you're going supermarket shopping and you have your supermarket list of things you want to buy. One of the things you probably won't have on the list is plastic. So if you put plastic at the top of the list before you go out the door and you're going to buy lentils, for example, here in Spain, we can buy lentils in cloth sacks. So why would I want to buy it in plastic, which is a single use plastic? It's going to end up going into my refuse and 90 odd percent of it doesn't get recycled, even though we're told it is. And that's another big story. You know, I've done a couple of things there. I've bought the lentils I needed and I've saved my plastic just because I put plastic at the top of my shopping list. One simple change, which then you can make into a habit that you always put plastic at the top of your shopping list. And that's how you make change. I share a wardrobe with my husband and I counted the other day for this article I was writing. We've got 30 hangers between us. The split's not 50-50. Guess who's got more hangers? Actually, it's me, but yeah, I've got more hangers. But we don't even have the, the principle of we haven't worn it for a year, throw it out. We don't have enough clothes. I do swap the winter and the summer wardrobes around. And so we have a winter wardrobe out and a summer wardrobe out, basically because we're in the Mediterranean and it works like that. We don't have enough to not wear it, put it that way. And I think that's important too. And that's another principle that, you, you know, you can apply. If I don't get rid of a particular item right away, particularly clothes yeah. that might sit there and I'll look at it and more likely to... It goes back. It goes back. It's letting go of the attachment to it. That's what's really interesting. Yeah. How do we let go of the attachment we have to things? What's your advice on that? 
I think you've just hit a really big, big nail there, the attachment thing. So for some people, it's easier than others. For me, I, I'm not really attached to the physical. I'm attached to the memory. And you can attach yourself to the memory in many different ways. You don't physically have to keep the item. You could take a photograph, for example, or you could write about it, or you could pass it on to some member of the family who you know it's still around, even though you're not attached to it. So there's lots of things you can do. But yeah, I think for some people, it's easier to give away than others. So for example, we made the decision when we put the house on the market, our big house, that we were going to sell it with furniture included. And we did that because we didn't know where we were coming. And we've moved into a modern style department. We used to have a traditional Mayakin house before. The furniture wouldn't have fitted here anyway. We'd have ended up paying for storage and then had to go through the stress of selling it at some point. So we just sold the property with furniture. And I think that's a really good way of doing it as well. It is. When we sold our Colorado property, we didn't realize that the buyers were interested in our furniture. And somehow it got lost in the translation between our realtors and we had to put our furniture up for sale. And we used a a site called Craigslist and the buyers, they happened to see it and they recognized some of the pieces and the land of the house on Craigslist. So they called us right away and they just loved our furniture and they said, we'll buy it. So we ended up selling most of it to them, which was really a blessing in disguise at the time because it was really going to be hard to get rid of it, sell it. And we certainly couldn't take it back with us because we were moving out of state. Yeah. So there's a simple thing that you can take away. You know, you can do that. Don't give yourself extra stress. Sell, sell with. I would love for you, before we wrap up, to share any additional thoughts or ideas that we have discussed today or haven't discussed. We talked a little bit about being a human being rather than a human doing. And I think that's important for where we are in the, in the present moment in time. And if you can spend a lot more time living in the now, in the present moment, I think you'll get an awful lot out of life. A lot of people tend to live a lot of their time remembering the past. And if they're not in the past, then they're forward thinking, this could possibly happen, this may happen, I want this to happen. And then you don't have time to enjoy the now, the present moment. Well, I think that is very insightful and more of us need to do that. I know it's one of the things that have been on my list the last several years is to be more conscious, more present in the moment, catching myself. And the more that we set the intention, at least for me, I've set the intention to be more present. I tend to catch myself more. And I'm doing a much better job of focusing on that. And I think that part of the simplicity as well, it comes back to being present. And it's not easy to do. It's something we have to practice on a regular basis. It's something I'm aware of, but I won't say I do do it constantly. But I think it's something that if we can get into the habit of doing that, life is so different. It's a completely different heartfelt space. And I think that's very, very important to remember. Those are definitely some wise, heartfelt words that we all could do with taking on board because life will be a lot easier and less stressful if uh, we're not reflecting on the past and worrying about the future. Exactly, yeah. 
Kay, where can people learn more about you? I would love for you to let us know where they can learn more. And also, I think you have a free gift as well that you'd like to offer. Yeah, but if you come to my website, kaynewton.com, and you start scrolling down the homepage, you'll find the Table of Life free gift, which you can sign up for. And I think most of my social media links are there. I'm quite often on Facebook. I have a group for women over 50 called Midlife Strategies. You're very welcome to come and join the conversation in the group as well if it's something that you'd like to do. Yes, and I've been in that group. I just love the conversation. And you've had some really nice programs, very insightful, very beneficial. And so we'll definitely include the website and all of your social media handles in the show notes, as well as the Facebook group and how people can access the free gift for the download. So I just want to thank you, Kay, for joining us today and just sharing your life experience, your wisdom, particularly how people can simplify life. And I just think that the awareness of what we're doing in our lives and how it affects our environment, our whole body experience is very much something for all of us to keep in mind as we move forward in these changing times. And and they are changing so quickly at the moment. It's absolutely exciting. It's unbelievable. Yes, it is. You know, new things abound and we just have to go with the flow. Yeah, we do. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Carol. Bye-bye. I just want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today for another episode of the podcast. And until next time, just keep rising up. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. We hope today's show helped to bring a bit more joy and happiness into your heart. We hope it inspired you to unleash your inner power and rise up to your best and loving heart-centered highest self. We'd be grateful if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews are important to spreading this valuable message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and share the show with others. Visit heartsriseup.com for heart-centered courses, guided meditations, and our popular notes from your higher self. Until next time, keep rising up and may all that you love thrive.